0: Well, let me add my welcome, if I may, to that of uh, Dave's earlier in the service. Uh, Paul Williams is my name. It's great to see you here. And uh, you might like to hang on to your uh, service uh, order. We'll be looking at uh, this Bible passage that Jill read for us just a little bit earlier. We believe here um, as Christians that uh, God speaks to us through the Bible. And so I'm just going to pray a prayer now that um, he would do exactly that as we look at the Bible together. So as we sit, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we've been singing, come lay your heavy load down at the Master's feet. Your shame will be removed, your joy will be complete. We pray that each one of us would understand how that can be the case, that Jesus is the Master, the Master who can forgive us and give us a fresh start. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, I wonder, do you think uh, Jesus should be kept to the uh, religious parts of life? You know, to church and baptisms and weddings and funerals and that sort of thing. Uh, On the uh, BBC's Question Time this week, one of the issues for debate surrounded the words of the Archbishop of York, uh, John Sentamu. Uh, Apparently, while he was addressing the annual dinner of a group of international bankers in the city of London, the Archbishop spoke of his outrage at those responsible for the short-selling Uh, for short-selling shares in HBOS. He labelled those responsible, this was to a group of bankers, he labelled those responsible as bank robbers and asset strippers. Clearly he hasn't read the book How to Make Friends and Influence People. But anyway, one of the aspects of the debate on Question Time was how the whole issue of of religion uh, interfering with politics was was wrong. Uh, The interface between church and state. uh, It's a debate that's much in the news uh, in the states at the moment. Uh, as the race for the White House hots up, the, the place of religion in politics has uh, been discussed again. It always seems to be uh, in the USA. Now, I wonder where you are on this. And not just with a religion and politics mix, but whether God should have a say on every area of life, as we were just hearing from Simon. Uh, well, look, the incident that we read earlier from the Bible has a lot to say on that issue. Uh, let me ask you again to take up your, um, your service order Uh, And uh, and to have a look at this reading that we looked at from Luke's Gospel uh, and chapter 5 of that Gospel. Uh, You'll see we join the story in verse 1 at the shore of Lake Gennesaret uh, with Jesus preaching and people crowding around him. Uh, And so, verse 2, Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. It's easy to picture the scene, isn't it? Jesus used Simon's boat as a sort of floating pulpit. Being just that little way out to sea, Jesus was able to continue to preach without being crushed by the crowd. And so the owner of the boat, Simon, found himself with Jesus there in the boat. And when, verse 4, Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And, and here is where the story gets really interesting. If, in your view, Jesus is for the religious bits of life, then at this point he is going way beyond his job description. See, here's the carpenter come preacher telling the fisherman how to do his job. Or, to think about it today, here is Jesus in your workplace telling you what to do. Uh, for the medics here, you're in the hospital or surgery, and as you're performing a, a tough operation or, or making a difficult diagnosis, Jesus has walked in and he told you to step aside for a moment. For the students here at uni, uh, here's Jesus entering the lecture theatre, and it turns out he knows more about your subject than the, the most eminent professor. Professor. And for the bankers and politicians in such a spin right now, here is Jesus walking into Wall Street and the London Stock Exchange and telling the politicians and the economists how to sort out the problem of the global credit crunch. If you think Jesus should be confined to the religious bits of life, then Jesus' actions here are totally inappropriate. It's as if he's uh, poking his nose in where he really isn't welcome. Now look, I have to confess that I used to see it just like that. I'd have never verbalised it like that, as as far as I can remember. I don't think I'd even thought about it that deeply. But that was how I lived my life. I'd always believed God was there. can't remember a time when I didn't really. I'd go to church, uh, bought up to go to church, then went more sporadically, occasionally, Christmas, Easter, weddings, that sort of thing. But believing God was there made no difference to the way I lived the rest of my life at work, on the sports field, socialising, in my relationships, how I spent my money, what I did with my time, my view on sex or politics or family or economics. or Apart from the basic sense of moral right and wrong, my belief in God had no real impact whatsoever. I guess I was like most people. So let me ask you this evening, where, where are you on this? Do you think Jesus should be kept in the religious zone for Sundays and church Christmas and Easter, high days and holidays. That's where I was on this. But look, I've got to to admit, I wasn't consistent with it and it seems to me most people aren't. Uh, If you ever fly with Indonesian Airways, tucked in front of the seat in front of you, you'll find one of these. Uh, In with the in-flight magazine and a laminated card with safety instructions, you'll find this. It's an invocation card. It's uh, full of prayers in all the main languages of the world. Prayers for a safe journey. Doesn't exactly fill you with confidence, does it? <laughs> it's, as if, uh, it's as if Indonesian Airways are saying, if you're going to reach your destination in one piece, you better start praying. Now, I'm not having a go at Indonesian Airways. The British Midland aren't much better. I had an occasion to fly, fly with them a couple of times to Belfast a few uh, years back. Um, As we were taxiing along the runway, on both occasions, but it was the first occasion that it really hit me, I I leant back into my seat, closed my eyes, and listened to the music being played throughout the cabin. It was Ronan Keating singing, If Tomorrow Never Comes. (laughs) And uh, it had that rather comforting line, If my time on earth should end. Well, look, uh, you can imagine uh, as you're uh, s- sitting down uh, with uh, Indonesian airwaves, you grab this, uh, this card and hear all the prayers in the main languages of the world. Uh, here's the one in English. Uh, Lord in heaven, we praise and thank thy blessings and endless love in our life. In this opportunity, we call thy holy name to accompany our journey. We believe that thou will guard and protect our plane from any disturbance and danger. To all the air crew, thou will lead their duty in order for us to arrive in destination in time and safety. Thank you for your help and firm love from beginning now and forever. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, Amen. There anyway, You could pray that prayer before you take off. Now when I first came across this card, it made me wonder how many people use this card? People who wouldn't dream of praying at any other time. People who think Jesus should be left in the religious section of life. It's interesting as you're taxiing along the runway how maybe that view changes a bit. People who certainly wouldn't want Jesus interfering with their job or telling them how to raise their family or what to do with their money or how to use their leisure time as they hurdle along the runway or when they're in a fix suddenly find themselves throwing up a quick prayer. Do you do that? We're all like that, aren't we? I certainly was. In the novel Bella by Jilly Cooper there's a fascinating moment when Bella is kidnapped and she fears for her life. Up to this point in the book, there's been no mention of God, except, of course, as a swear word. But now she's in serious trouble, and and we read, she started on the Lord's Prayer. Then she prayed, please let me out, adding, and I'll try to be good for the rest of my life. Well, she does get out, but of course, once she's free, God is never mentioned in the book again, except as a swear word. We're like that, many of us. So again, where are you on this? Do you think Jesus should be just kept to the religious zone? Well, look, if you are, then you'll feel Jesus has gone way too far here in verse 4. Here, as I say, is Jesus walking into Peter's office and telling him how to do his day job. See it there, verse 4? Simon, let down the nets for a catch. Whatever you make of it, it's a fascinating moment. But it gets even more interesting, as Luke tells us in verse 5, that Simon and his partners had been fishing all night and not caught a thing. Now don't get the wrong idea, this wasn't just because they only did this for a hobby and they just had one of those terrible dreadful days down at the riverbank when the fish just weren't biting, that wasn't it at all. Now they were experienced fishermen, they were professionals, this was their job. And having been at it all night, they knew that this wasn't the time to start fishing again. Yet here is Jesus telling Simon, put the nets down for a catch. Now, bearing in mind that Simon is the fisherman and Jesus is the carpenter come preacher, Simon's response does seem pretty gracious, really. Look at verse 5. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Of course, in, in Simon's mind, there's no chance they'd catch anything. He knew these waters. He knew it was time to go home and get some sleep. They'd just finished the night shift. Certainly wasn't the time to start fishing all over again and all the more as we look back to verse 2 and see that they just washed the nets. That's a job you don't want to have to do all over again. Yet despite that, and even though Simon thought the whole exercise would be fruitless, do you see there at the end of verse 5, he said, because you say so, I will. And then verse 6, when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full they began to break. They began to sink. What a catch! It was a miracle. They'd been fishing all night, hadn't caught a thing, not a nibble. And yet here was Jesus of Nazareth, raised in the country, miles from the coast. Jesus, the carpenter turned preacher, this Jesus had given them the biggest haul they had ever had. It was a miracle. And Simon knew it was a miracle, not only because they'd been fishing all night without catching a thing, but you see the boats, end of verse 7, they began to sink. Now this wasn't a normal catch. If it had been, they'd have got bigger boats. Never seen anything like it before. Out of this world it was. Well, it showed Simon exactly who Jesus is. And boy, did Simon Peter get the point. Just look at his response in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Do you see the key point? He, He fell at Jesus' knees and he called him Lord. And this is the point where we begin to see whether Jesus should be kept just for the religious bits of life or not. See, it all hinges on who we think Jesus is. For Simon Peter, this is the moment when Jesus' true identity becomes abundantly clear. At exactly this point, Simon Peter concluded that Jesus is the Lord, as he says in verse 8, the Lord of fish and fishermen, the Lord of the sea and sailors, the Lord of health and hospitals, the Lord of university and understanding, the Lord of leisure and relaxation, the Lord of all. This miracle demonstrated to Simon Peter that Jesus is the one who made the world, the one who made everything we see around us, the one who created the fish and the sea and the water and the waves and and the one who made Simon Peter. And if this is true, therefore the one who made you and me. At this point, you see, Simon Peter realised that this is Jesus' world. He made it. And so he owns it. And so he has the right to be completely and fully involved in all of it, everything, including you and me. Now that's what this miracle revealed to Simon Peter. And just so you know, this wasn't a fluke, this wasn't a one-off, not a a lucky day down at the riverbank when he caught them that big. Jesus performed other miracles over nature. In chapter 8 of Luke's Gospel, a little later on, we see him calming a raging storm. Again, Simon Peter was in the boat, along with others. A huge storm had been whipped up, so bad they were convinced they were going to drown. The whole crew were terrified, no doubt grabbing for their invocation cards. Here were hardened fishermen thinking they were going to die. The storm was so furious. And just when they thought they were doomed, Jesus stood up in the boat and he said to the raging storm, Be still! And instantly the water was calm, like a mill pond, not a ripple. That is very impressive. Look, well, I tell you, there have been plenty of occasions I wish I could do that. I love the channel, the channel tunnel, the channel. I love it. What a brilliant piece of engineering, don't you think, though? How marvellous it is that they could build such a thing. I just think it's fantastic because it means that when I go to the continent, I don't have to go on a ferry. I so dislike ferries. Before the channel tunnel was built, I went on the ferry most years on, on uh, skiing trips uh, to the Alps. Every time I went on the ferry, I would be as sick as a dog. I mean, really sick. I'll never forget the worst crossing of all. As we got onto the ferry, the crew were securing all the, ro- all the vehicles with ropes. Uh, I knew it was going to be a bad crossing. Everyone else, you know, those great sailors among us, they sort of walked off to the smorgasbord to fill themselves up with loads of food. I decided that I needed to go and camp by the toilets. I tell you, on that journey, I was as sick as I've ever been. When I could stand it no longer, I looked up at my wife in a pathetic little voice and I said to her, Caroline, how much longer before we get there? I was like a little boy in the back of the car, how much longer before we get there? I'll never forget the look on her face when she said to me, Paul, we haven't left the harbour yet. (laughs) Look, I, I used to feel so sick on those journeys. What I'd have done to have been able to go up on deck and command the wind and the waves and the sea, be still, stop! Of course, I didn't try it. No point. And had I tried it, you'd soon know that it wasn't just in my stomach that I was sick either. <laughs> you and I can't control the wind and the waves, but Jesus did. The storm stopped instantly. He calmed the storm, this, this huge haul of fish. He even walked on water. And it all begs the question, who is this man? Walking on water, calming a storm to catch a fish. When Jesus came to planet Earth, he walked around the place as if he owned the place, because he did. That's what Simon Peter recognised. And so, verse 8, he fell at his knees and called Jesus Lord. What a shock for Simon Peter. He was in a boat with the living God. What a shock for anyone who wants to leave Jesus in the church, keep him in the religious zone of life, or leave him out of life altogether. See, Peter knew what this meant. If Jesus really is the Lord, the one who made all of this, there is no area of life, no part of existence that is outside of the control of Jesus Christ. It was that belief that led the the Dutch prime minister at the beginning of the 20th century, Abraham Kuyper, to say this. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ does not cry, mine, that's the logical conclusion. If Jesus is God and Lord of all, everything is his. And therefore, it's simply not right to try and restrict his influence, push him over here a bit. That's what this incident is about. And, and suddenly it becomes clear, becomes clear that everything about this story is much bigger than we ever realized. This is not just about a man catching a few fish. See, if this is true, it has huge implications. If Jesus is the Lord Almighty who made everything, then he not only knows how to catch fish, he knows everything about the whole of our lives. Now Peter realised that, Simon Peter realised that, and it hit him like a ton of bricks. Look more closely at his response in verse 8. He said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. See, Peter realised that he had committed the greatest crime in the universe. He called himself sinful. He, he, he knew that he had done a terrible thing. You see, sin is to think that we know better than Jesus, as Simon did about fishing. Sin is to try and restrict Jesus' influence over us, as I do every day. Sin is to push Jesus out of our lives altogether, something that we've all been guilty of, as Simon said earlier in the interview even if you're polite about it, as Simon Peter was, or you respect him as a great teacher, as Simon Peter did, when we don't allow Jesus to direct our lives, we are sinners. Now look, please, I'm not being rude when I call you a sinner. I'm not calling your moral integrity into question. I'm not saying you're a social outcast. I'm not suggesting that you're a really bad person, like a murderer, or a thief, or an adulterer, or a dentist. I'm not saying any of that. (laughs) Sorry, are there any dentists here? Yes, one or two. It's lovely to have you. I'm really, really <laughs> pleased to see. I'm glad that I'm not uh, sitting in your chair, but lovely to see. Anyway, look, I'm not saying that you're a really bad person. You're a sinner and I'm a sinner because to a greater or lesser extent, we keep Jesus at arm's length, don't we? Uh, a good friend of mine who is also a clergyman got speaking to the wife of an old school friend at a, at a wedding reception. And she said to my friend, religion is there when we need it. So, for example, a wedding day, a baptism, it's there when you need it. And my friend said to her, what would happen if your husband treated you like that? That you're just there, just there when he needs you? And she said, I'd murder him. And my friend said to her, but isn't that how you treat God? And she replied, well, that's just not how I see it. But Just think of the times you've enjoyed all the good things that God gives us but you've never given him a second thought. Think of the times you've run to God when you've needed him, when you've grabbed your invocation card or something like that. Think of the ways you've misused his creation, just the way you've treated other people, other people who Jesus made, walked all over them, put them down, used them, abused them. Left a trail of destruction behind you in relationships perhaps. Now think of those times and just imagine for a moment that that it's all been recorded here on a DVD. Imagine that Jesus hasn't missed a word or an action or a thought. And imagine that he's standing in front of you now holding the DVD, not me but him. Uh, You know that everything you've ever said and thought and did is on this. All the good things, things you want to celebrate. Great, great, great achievements. Great sporting achievements. Great academic achievements perhaps. Great moments of love. They're fantastic. They're brilliant. But all the other things as well. The things you've said to hurt people. The things you've done to hurt them. the, The things that have gone on in your head that no one else knows. The skeletons in the cupboard. Now Jesus is holding up the DVD. If you think about that seriously, then you know how Simon Peter felt when he suddenly realised he was in the boat with the Lord Almighty. And that's why he said these words, Do you see it there again in verse 8, Go away from me, depart from me, I am a sinful man. Now I would guess for some here this evening it's dawning on you. You're beginning to realise you've done the unthinkable. You've kept the Lord of all creation at arm's length all your life. You may have been polite enough about it, but there's no getting away from it. You've shut Jesus Christ out of your life. And now, like Simon Peter, you can't look Jesus in the eye. Go away from me. I remember when it first dawned on me, it's exactly how I'd lived. It was a horrible moment. Until it was pointed out to me that that's not the end of the story. See, in verse 8, Simon Peter said, go away from me, but Jesus didn't walk away. Quite the opposite. He told Simon Peter that he had a job for him. Look halfway through verse 10, towards the end there. Jesus said to him, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Isn't that wonderful? Even though you might have committed the greatest crime in the universe of kicking out, pushing out the living God from your life, He says, no, no, I'm not finished with you yet. I've got a job for you. Come and be with me. The good news is, you see, there's a fresh start with Jesus. The slate can be wiped clean, the past forgotten. Because a few years after this event, Jesus Christ died on a cross. You may well know that, you may have heard that before, but I wonder if you know why he died on the cross. See, the Bible tells us he died on the cross. He died so that we could be forgiven. Forgiven for this crime of ignoring him. And on the cross he took the punishment that that we deserve. We deserve to be punished for that crime. He said, I'll take that punishment. Uh, When I was at uh, theological college uh, training to be a vicar, uh, one of my friends called it vicar factory. When I was at vicar factory, uh, we used to have our, our sermons uh, assessed. It was, you know, one of the things that, that we did. We had more than two hours lectures a week, uh, but not many. Uh, but one of the things we had to do was have our sermons assessed. And uh, one of my friends uh, was having, uh, doing a sermon on the Sunday, and the lecturer who was to be assessing his sermon couldn't actually make it uh, on that day. And so uh, my friend took a, a, a tape along. Yeah, it was in the olden days when they had tapes. And he took a tape along into a little uh, tape recorder and he recorded his sermon. And uh, when he got, got, uh, got back uh, to college, he put it back in the box, gave it to uh, the lecturer and uh, the lecturer went into his study uh, to go and listen to it. My friend was uh, very nervous, he thought it was a terrible sermon, it was one of his worst, it was disastrous really. But anyway, that was the rule, he had to have it assessed and so the, uh, the lecturer took it out of the box went into his study uh, put it into the tape recorder and pressed the button and as he pressed the button the telephone rang in his study and uh, so he picked up the telephone and uh, answered the call and it was one of those calls that went on and on for a while and uh, after 25 minutes or so he put the phone down and he thought what was I doing? oh yeah I was listening to the say he saw the tape going round and round there was no noise coming out and he suddenly realised he'd pressed the record button the whole thing had been, had, been, had been wiped out. It was a disaster for the lecturer. It was fantastic for my friends. <laughs> this awful sermon had been wiped clean. That's a silly little illustration, but when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died to, to wipe the slate clean, to wipe the tape clean, to, to, to wipe the DVD clean. We deserve only God's punishment, but Jesus Christ says, I love you, I'll take the punishment for you, I'll die in your place. You can have a fresh start. Isn't that wonderful news? Well, for me, it was 25 years ago. Someone explained to me that there was a world of difference between believing God was there and following Jesus. Jesus. The world of difference between believing God existed and knowing forgiveness that that Jesus offered. The world of difference of of being religious and going to church and having the sort of relationship with Jesus that meant that the the DVD was wiped clean. And so I started again with Jesus. You know, I think there'll be some here this evening who want to take that, that, that step towards a fresh start with Jesus, even now some of you may want to investigate things further Uh, you you want to find out if Jesus really is this one this Lord of all creation you'll want to think more before you take any sort of step well uh, let me encourage you to think about this course that Ed was mentioning earlier Christianity Explored you'll see uh, lots of these all over the building Uh, it begins on Tuesday the 14th of October it's a brilliant course where you can come along have a meal listen to a bit of a talk but have discussion you can just listen in Or or you can can bring your questions and join in with the discussion. Think about that. Uh, For others, though, you've heard enough. And you're saying, I want to start with Jesus now. Well, if that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer. And it's a very simple prayer. And you might like to pray along. Before I pray, let me read it for you. And you'll decide whether this is the prayer you want to pray or not. It goes like this. It says, Lord God, I'm sorry that I've not loved you with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. I understand now who Jesus is and why he died. I know that I don't deserve it, but because of Jesus' death on a cross for me, I ask you to forgive me. From now on, please give me the desire to obey you and help me to follow Jesus, whatever the cost. Well, that's the prayer. I'm going to pray that now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray it line by line, short lines. So if you want to pray this prayer, if you're ready for this, then you can just pray it line by line in your head. Jesus will hear you as you pray it. Uh, And this will be a a great way to make a fresh start uh, with Jesus. So now let's uh, just, as we sit, let's pray. And those of you who want to, in your head, just uh, follow along with me. Here's the prayer. Lord God, I'm sorry that I have not loved you with all my heart or with all my soul, mind and strength. I understand now who Jesus is and why he died. I know that I don't deserve it, but because of Jesus' death on a cross for me, I ask you to forgive me. From now on, please give me the desire to obey you. And help me to follow Jesus, whatever the cost. Amen.